0: Okay, you guys, if you want to find a seat, we're going to go ahead and get started. So our reading today comes from Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read this, starting with verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, ...entered the entire house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. There were Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages... They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't, aren't these people who are speaking Galileans? How can each of, the, each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering on Cyrene visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they were full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this, Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I'm glad you laughed at that because it's funny. Um, <laughs> then he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene was a man whose credentials God proved to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed. Through him among you. You yourselves know this. In accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed. And you, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip. Therefore, let all Israel know beyond question that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent, or change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, if you remember, we left off um, at the ascension of Christ, and this question of his absence, like what's going to happen to the church once Jesus is gone? They had been um, become convinced he was the Jewish Messiah, which at the time meant something like warrior king, and then he died, which is not what messiahs were supposed to do. And then all of a sudden started appearing to them alive and reinterpreting the entire Jewish story, their tradition, their scriptures. And we studied that one passage, if you remember from last week, that um, said the Messiah must die and rise in, in three days. And, and then it says that repentance for forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And you probably noticed those same words being listed here, and even all the nations being mentioned. And we talked about these these four important kind of concepts or words embedded in the passage. There's repentance, which is the Greek word metanoia, which does not mean, in, in Greek it does not mean feeling really sorry for something you did and promising never to do that again, right? That's not repentance. It means turn around, change your heart and life, go a different direction, take a new path with new allegiances. There's the word forgiveness. In Greek it's aphesis, a, a which is less about absolution, and more about freedom from bondage. Ephesus is liberation. And then the dreaded word sin, hamartia, in Greek, which was not even a religious word at the time, which is interesting, because it is now. Um, but it, it just meant missing the mark. It meant straying from the path. And so, like, first hearers of what Jesus was saying, they would have heard it something like, change your heart and life. Be liberated from this bondage that has resulted from your wandering paths. You're missing the mark. And then he says this, this should be proclaimed not just to the Jewish people, but to the nations. The word there is ta ethnos. It's, it's a huge concept in the Jewish faith. It's, it's kind of the biblical name for all the tribes and nations and cultures and civilizations of the world. And ta ethnos, the nations are portrayed in the scriptures as the source of most of the world's troubles. They, they organize by way of war and violence and power and corruption. And under these dehumanizing regimes called the nations, humanity just struggles, you know? Struggles to bear the image of God. Struggles to find peace and wholeness and flourishing for everyone. And, and so this is the massive problem that Jesus came to address. It's, it's a creation-level problem of ta ethnos, the nations. And so the primary focus of Christ's ministry is not just to offer a way to get into heaven when you die. It was to embody and proclaim and inaugurate a whole new way to organize our lives and human communities and cultures, a way that does lead to peace and flourishing, a way to be renewed in the image of God. And Christ's name for this new way, instead of the nations, was the kingdom of God. That's what he called it, the reign and rule of God. He said if, if your life is shaped by the nations, you're, you'll veer off. If, it, if it's shaped, um, as his friends are, uh, by this new way of being human— by your citizenship in the kingdom of god then you'll change and you'll grow and you'll just constantly be becoming more and more human as human was intended to be and so that's the jesus project really in fact there's a sense in which christianity was never meant to be a religious belief system it has always been about a whole new way to be a human being and like an alternative way to organize the common life of humanity, that unlike the way of the nations, is is deeply human and humane and humanizing, instead of inhuman, inhumane and dehumanizing. And it's a change that's just so radical that joining this new way is, he said, like being born again from above. In fact, that's why they did baptism, it's like this symbolic death and being born into a whole new way of, of life. And everyone can join, everyone's welcome. But it will only happen for those who truly repent, turn around, go a different way, change their heart and life, and experience liberation from the wandering path of the nations. And he said, those who embrace this new way of being will become witnesses. Um, The Greek word is martyris. It's where we get the word martyr. That's how you bear witness, dying to the self and to the other. For the sake of the kingdom of God. And and in doing this. You point to Christ as the way. To a life that is. That is true and good. And whole. And just the presence of a people. Like that. Who are doing that in the world. Can offer the nations. A new way to organize the world. And be human. In Jesus' big sermon. When he's trying to. Kind of just lay it all out. How the people of God, or what became the church, how they're supposed to be. This is how he described their role. He said, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Or here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't you think I'm going to, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. There are some, I think, powerful metaphors in this short um, passage about what it means to be part of a church. He says, we'll be like salt seasoning, bringing out the God flavors of the earth. It's an interesting phrase, right? Instead of like following the violence and selfishness of the nations, if we follow Christ in, in laying down our lives for each other and um, living nonviolently and practicing forgiveness and reconciliation and peacemaking or carefully stewarding divine gifts like the, like the earth, like nature, the, the planet, our bodies, our relationships, even human cultures, the, just, just the presence of a, of a people like this among the nations brings an awareness of the presence of God living and acting in the world. Like our, our lives will end up being just like salt bringing out the God flavors that are already there among us. Or he said, we'll be like a lamp in a dark room full of people who just keep crashing into each other and breaking things and hurting themselves and each other. Like, if our, if our common life is marked by faith, hope, and, and love, then, then the church lights the way in the darkness. And, and all of a sudden, people, you know, have nothing to do with faith or Christ even, can see and see how messed up the nations are in the way they organize themselves and how we end up hurting each other and tearing up the world under their leadership. Notice also that he does not say, the church's task is to make converts, right, to like convince people they're dirty, rotten sinners, so they'll say a sinner's prayer, right, or, you know, even join the church. I mean, think about the dynamics of these two images he gives for the people of God. How much salt does it take to flavor a plateful of food? It's like a pinch of salt he handles it. And, and transforms the flavor of the entree. The, the church is salt. The nations taught ethnos, or the plate, the entree. Our task is to draw out the innate sensitivity to the God who is already present in and active in the world. Or, or the lamp. You know, you, put a, you light a lamp, you put it on a stand, you don't, like, soak the whole room in paraffin and set the whole thing on fire, right? It's just a little light, will orient um, everyone in the space and help them see their way. So Jesus is trying to say, God is already out there and present in the world. God is everywhere and always universally available and like at any given time, creating and recreating and sustaining the cosmos in every moment. But the nations have sort of lost their ability to sense it, to see it. They're stumbling around in the dark, and they're trying everything they can to to make life taste a little better, find their way in the dark, but it's not working, and they make a mess of the world, and so the church is to be like a city on the hill that twinkles and shines at night, and their reputation for love and peace and grace and forgiveness and goodness is meant to be a shining example for the nations, right? An, an alternate way to organize our common lives toward shalom. And here's the thing. When the church does this, when, when the church actually follows this, they have an incredible impact on the world. I mean, for most of the past 2,000 years, it's been the Christians in different cultures building hospitals and funding scientific research training doctors and nurses and finding cures for diseases, starting schools and colleges and universities, working for things like the abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, child labor laws, fair pay for workers, public education, public parks and libraries and museums, public transportation. Did you know the church fought to get public transportation so that everyone, even the poor, could go to work and to travel to see family. They fought for organized labor to hold corporations accountable for how they treat workers. They fought for an inheritance tax. That's part of part of our story. Because in, in the scriptures, if wealth uh, concentrates in the hand of just a few families, this is a bad thing. They fought for workplace safety regulations. They helped pass social security. You know, all those things sound like it innovations of a secular state, right? But the church was the driving force behind all of those ideas as Christians worked to get the nations to do right by those on the margins. Just in our little church. And we we befriended some homeless people or maybe they befriended us and kind of saved us. And we partnered with Jewish um, congregations and and the Islamic Center and a bunch of Christian churches to form Good Faith Network and start to um, argue for solutions for homelessness. We helped um, shelter, or we began, um, partnered with Project 1020 and had the first homeless shelter um, for adult men and women singles down in the A-frame years ago. And we were just trying to be salt and light. Today, Johnson County government is on the cusp of setting aside more than $4 million to build a a year-round homeless shelter. I don't think this happens without Little Redemption Church. When the church gets this right, it's incredible. It's like a city built on a hill, like little outposts of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that can help the nation see what's happening and see their mistakes and reorient their common life. And at the same time, when the church gets this wrong, it's devastating for the church and society. And, I mean, let's just tell the truth about it. The American church right now is not known for, like, its patience or kindness or gentleness or goodness. You know, we're known for being kind of judgy and angry, for being allied with corrupt politicians and parties. I mean, this is what people think. For stoking culture wars, championing gun rights and tax avoidance, we're seen as just as materialistic and dishonest and corrupt as anyone else. And then on top of that, in denial about things like climate change and vaccines and you're just, you know, science. And for mistreating the most vulnerable people. I mean, the strugglers, the people who don't fit. And the church universal, in our context, seems more like the nations than the kingdom. Our reputation is not of salt and light. It's kind of bitterness and darkness. How's that for a sales pitch? Anybody? Anybody want to sign up? I'm grateful that Redemption Church is not a reputation in this city. And I know that's because of your faithfulness. But there's a big argument going on about how to get the church back on track. It's really interesting to me, too, that kind of where people line up and in the battle lines in this argument are like just repeating the same failed projects that Jesus faced in his time. I mean, those who want to fight the culture wars, this is like the zealots of that day. The ones who want to just focus on you know, personal morality and piety, this is like the Pharisees. Those who want to separate and shun problematic people, this is like the sect called the Essenes. They were like monastics. Those who equate personal success with godliness, this is the Sadducees' project. And Jesus just rejected all those approaches, really for one simple reason, and that's the line between good and evil doesn't run between persons or communities. It runs down the center of every human heart. And so how, how do we handle that one? There's no escaping that one. It's in us. So how can the, a church like that find the right path again? What Jesus did is he's like, turn around, live differently. And he did in his own life. And he was salt and light, pointing others to God in this new way of, of being. And he invited um, others to stop following the nations and to um, seek first the kingdom of God. And he gave his followers a new command to practice love as a way of life. And then he defined that command, or defined love as self-sacrifice. He said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples, by your love. That's how you become salt and light. And if we, you know, as a church universal, want to get back on track, if redemption wants to stay on track, this is how we love our neighbor." Ourselves. We practice forgiveness, not judgment and condemnation. We practice reconciliation and peacemaking, not revenge and violence. We confess our brokenness and don't hide it and, and become hypocrites. We practice compassion toward each other, the least of these. Love our enemies. Don't go to war to destroy them. And Christ's invitation was turn around, right? Repent, change your heart and life, and be freed from the bondage of this wandering way. Be liberated from missing the mark, and you'll come alive. And he dramatically reinterpreted um, his whole tradition, I mean, giving it new meaning and insight And he said, I'm not not trying to abolish the law. I'm just trying to help us actually fulfill it. And he said the tradition, our tradition, the the Torah, the law, the um, prophets, the poets, he said, it's going to live on, but not through some temple, you know, but through a people. Not through, you know, Jewish nationalism or any kind of nationalism, but through the church, and it was too much for some people, right? They betrayed him, had him arrested, tried him in an unfair trial and crucified and buried him. And then the inexplicable happened. He just started showing up. At first in person. And then he ascended, but not before kind of breathing the Holy Spirit into his people, and then he just kept showing up. The day of Pentecost, that's that's what the story is about. That somehow, whenever two or three are gathered in his name, that means just doing life in his name, following this way. It's like he never left. Christ lives on in the world. In the centuries that followed that day, the church kept trying to embody the kingdom in whatever culture they found themselves. But this always meant that they had to experiment with sort of new ways to worship God that fit their specific context, creating new modes of discipleship that would work in a a new culture, translating the scriptures into new languages, including people like the Gentiles, elevating women and immigrants. Of course, the nations didn't like this any more than they liked Christ. They killed Christians by the thousands, but the church just grew faster where there was persecution. And what began as this little fringe Jewish sect began to just grow and grow and expand. As little congregations faithfully embodied the presence of God, discerning where God was working in the world and then going and just joining with that. And the evidence that this was happening was always determined by the same thing, and that was how the poor and the marginalized were doing. The least, the last, the lowly, If those people, if the vulnerable are flourishing, then they knew Christ is alive in our midst. And they made a record of this. They they wrote it down, what was happening to them, first in the New Testament, and in histories and works of theology and the lives of the saints who served as examples for the church. They were so important in those early years. They produced beautiful and profound works of art and philosophy And theology, they created brand new forms of government and policy and neighboring. And they got it wrong as much as they got it right. But they just confessed this freely and learned to include the brokenness in their story. And this long history of the people of God, it comes to us as um, the Christian tradition. And we're invited to participate in it by devoting our lives to the life of the church. A few years ago, I stumbled onto this powerful metaphor for the church that's kind of come to ground our imaginations at redemption. It's a piece of art called the Walking Wall. How many of you have been down to see the Walking Wall at the the Nelson? Okay, it's a lot. It's this sculpture that lives at the Art Museum here in town by a guy named Andy Goldsworthy. And his crew built this rock wall, it's about 100 yards long. And they used old methods, like no concrete. They, uh, they fit these rocks together, almost like a puzzle, using smaller rocks and pebbles to make it solid and strong. Goldsworthy actually said he, he got the idea because these walls are all over Kansas City, almost like they grew up out of the ground as the farmers cleared the soil of rocks. They would stack them into, into little walls. And once Goldsworthy and his team had finished the wall they did something crazy, they started to walk it forward. So they took the stones from the tail of the wall, took them apart and carried them forward and added them to the front of the wall, building it over again on new terrain. So it's like the wall was walking forward at about, like you go like 12 yards a day. They fully de- and reconstructed this entire wall five times over the course of several months as it walked 500 yards from an empty field beside the museum, across the street, around the side of the museum, and then into the museum and through the lobby and down through the steps and and down back out and into the sculpture garden where it lives today. And the church, I am suggesting, is a bit like this walking wall. It grows out of the soil of our own time and our experience of God in the culture. And each little rock is sort of like one of our beliefs or, or practices or stories or experiences or even just our, our lifetime. And the task of faith or faithing is to keep the wall moving forward in our time. And to do this, we have to return to the beginnings and constantly de- and reconstruct our faith, carrying it forward as we go in this like the ever-changing ground of culture. And just as like, the walking wall has to, as they move, adjust to the, the contours and terrain of the land, the, the faith, the life of the church has to adjust to the terrain of our times. It always must be a fresh expression of this old tradition. With the wall, it was funny, sometimes it had to cross over another wall You can see it going over the top of one. This is like when we encounter other faiths. It would travel all over. You know, had to move around trees and up and down slopes and through grass and gravel and cement. It's like all the different events and seasons of our life. But wherever it travels, it's always the same wall, same exact stones. Nothing's added, nothing is ever lost. Kind of like we don't throw old beliefs away, old stories or doctrines but very often we, we have to fit them into the wall in a, in a different way. Like, um, like if sometimes only to remind ourselves of how we've messed things up you know, in the past. Like the way the church was supportive of things like slavery and racism, patriarchy and violence. We have to carry even those kind of humiliating rocks with us and tell our kids, yeah, that's, that's what we used to believe. We I don't believe it anymore. And, and anybody who did who does still does, and there's a lot who do, it's, it's a mistake. See this rock? It's, it's a mistake. But it's part of our story. It's part of our wall. And so even those rocks move forward, but their, their meaning changes. And to keep it moving forward, we have to deconstruct the wall on the back end. The tail feeds the front so the wall can keep moving. It's like part of our job as a church involves exploring our own tradition, you know. the Deconstructing the foundation stones of our faith, but doing this like faithfully, you know, with great care and reverence, picking up the stones and looking them over, feeling their shapes with their hands and feeling their weight and getting to know them and then carrying them forward and deciding how to, you could say, steward them for the wall to keep the wall moving on new terrain. And this is what we do. We rebuild the church in each new generation, faithing forward as we go. It's funny. So Goldsworthy, when he was doing this, like he didn't do hardly any work. He mostly just stood around and talked to people. And when I heard this, I went down there to, to, to meet him and talk with him about his work. And I told him about Redemption Church and that we were using his walking wall to seed our imagination. And he, he was like, I don't think he believed me at first that a church was using his work. He's not really a church guy so much. But um, we t- I talked to him about the disorientation of deconstruction. And trying to be faithful among the nations and how we were using his wall and he started telling stories about people who had come in contact with with the wall and he said you know normally walls go on perimeters of things but this keeps cutting right through the middle of things churches like this too and so you have to work around it to navigate the spaces at one point the wall blocked a road and shut down traffic for weeks. Goldsworthy said, that's when you divide the world into those who believe in art and poetry and those who don't. <laughs> He's, he was telling, he told me a story of one time when they were, they were working on it, and this old lady came up and could barely see over the, the windshield and started giving them the finger, like the whole crew. And uh, others would drive up and see it and get out of their car and come and say, what is happening? And just kind of delight in the craziness of it. For a while, um, the wall split this staircase in two. And as you're trying to get to different parts of the museum, if you chose the wrong side, you had to backtrack and go all the way around the other building and then go inside and down and get back around. Um, And people had... Various reactions to this, she said, (laughs) from annoyed and amused to like bewildered and just dumbstruck. And I think I think the church when it's going well, it's a little bit like that. It's not like corporate America where everybody's like, yeah, earnings are good. It's like, what is happening here? You know, that's more like that. But change is required and change is unsettling. But our task is to just do whatever it takes to keep the wall moving forward so that every generation has a church, has some people who can see in the dark, you know, who can be salt. And the reality is, a lot of people don't want a church like that. They want to transform the wall into a fortress to exclude the undesirables and avoid suffering. Some want to make the church into an ivory tower where the enlightened can come and analyze its meaning. Some want to cement the rock wall in place, kind of in the church. You just freeze the church in time. Keep it from changing. Some people want to use the rocks like projectiles as weapons in their culture wars. Some want to just dismantle the wall Altogether, just tear it down and be done with religion. Some want to individualize the wall, let everybody just pick their favorite rock, take it home, and, you know, whatever, put it on a shelf and ignore it. But all of those distort the nature of the wall. They destroy, really, the one thing that makes this wall at least truly um, unique, and that's the fact that it is walking, it's always changing and growing forward. And you know, our world is constantly changing. We can't stop this. It would be terrible if we could. And that's not our job anyway. The church's role is, is to mediate the presence of God to an ever changing world, to bear witness, martyrs, by laying down our lives. This is how we keep the wall moving forward onto new ground. We carry every stone with reverence and care. This is faith or faithing. And when it happens somehow, miraculously, like that first Pentecost, the wall comes to life. With each new age, the church comes to life. As we experience God's presence, we come alive, we find meaning and purpose even in in the broken stuff. And then we mediate the presence of God to the world bearing witness to the kingdom. This is what it means to be the church. That's why I love this metaphor. It's, the church is like the walking wall. It's not frozen somewhere in the past or even endlessly chasing, you know, the latest trends, what is novel. It's just patiently carrying the stones forward, trusting that the life of the wall will outlast all of us, but... Our lives will be woven into it somehow and somehow live on. At Redemption Church, we have a tradition on the day of Pentecost. We invite those who have kind of joined up with us over the last year to join the church on the day of Pentecost, the birth, birthday kind of of the church. And part of how we do this is we ask those who um, are joining to sign our roll books but also to sign these rocks that live in, in this place. And so we kind of stack them up together. It's, it's sort of a symbolic way of our lives joining in the life of the church as a piece of this wall. And each year on this day, we also, those of us who've been around before, like reaffirm our own commitment to membership in this congregation. And so that's what we're going to do now. That's how we're going to close today. Um, but before that, we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to ask... Uh, parents of um, elementary and toddlers or preschoolers if you would send one parent down and and grab your kids and bring them in here because we want them to be part of all this so you are if that's you you you're dismissed to go grab your kiddos and then bring them back as quick as you can so each year at Pentecost um, we all kind of join the church again which I know is weird or maybe weird but we, we just yearly recommit ourselves to carrying the wall forward. And as we do this, or the way we do this, is we, we, we repeat the promises we made the first time we joined the church. And um, these are promises you make to, to God and, and to each other. They're actually, they come from the Book of Common Prayer. They're the same promises you make at your baptism, too. And um, we're going to do that in, in just a moment. But before we do that, um, we're going to receive um, communion together. And that's how we'll do it. So the way you'll, if you're becoming a new member today, as you come up and receive communion, when, when you're done, if you're already a member, you can go find your seat. If you haven't joined before, you can come forward. And there's um, books over there and there, both of those stations. And then the rocks over there. So you can sign the roll first and then go over and sign um, the rock. You can take, bring your whole family with you. If you have a new addition to your family this year, you can come up here and there's an index here. You can find your name, figure out what, what um, page you're on and go add the new name. You go sort through the rocks. Good luck, there's a lot. Um, find your family, write the new name on there. If your kids are getting old enough to where they might understand this, you want them to see their name in the book. You can do that too. It's going to kind of be messy and take a while, but that's okay because this church is always messy, so that will that'll just work. Um, but it's, it's kind of, we're going to take a couple of songs worth of time here and, and join the church. Before we do that, um, we're going to receive communion. The way we do communion is um, the ushers will release us row by row, and you'll come forward. You take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and receive it. And they'll say, remember the body and blood of Christ. And you can respond by saying, "Um, I remember, I will remember, or however you're comfortable responding. The reason that we do this is that on the night when Christ was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and a cup, just a single piece of bread and a single cup, and all of them shared in the same cup, the same bread. And what he told them is kind of, this has symbolic meaning. The bread is like my body. The cup is like my blood, which to them meant life. Blood is life. He said, what I want you to do every time you gather, eat this bread, drink this cup, take, in a sense, my life into your life and be made of the stuff I'm made out of and then go out into the world to be salt and light. And he said, every time you gather, do this. And so this is why we receive communion each week as a church. This is also why we don't like set up hurdles anybody who calls on the name of christ can join us at the table and so we invite everyone to do that now but we're going to first pray a blessing on the table so join me as we bless the elements oh god we ask you to bless this bread and this cup may it be to us a spiritual food and drink a means of your grace and as we receive it into our bodies may we receive you once again Come and live inside us. Make us new from the inside out and then send us out into the world to be salt and light. And let the world feast on us and taste and see your goodness. All to the glory of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forevermore. Amen. And now... We're going to do our membership liturgy. And, okay, here, here's the deal with this. So um, anybody who is already a member of Redemption Church, you're going to participate and reaffirm your membership. If you're brand new, your participation here is kind of your first time joining with us. And if you are a member of some other church somewhere else, please reaffirm with us your membership in, in your congregation today as, as we make these commitments together. So here we go. There, there are several questions that we'll answer together. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty and trust only in the blood of Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit for your salvation? If so, say we do. Yes. Do you commit yourselves to Redemption Church to love and serve her through your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and and faithful devotion? If so, say, we do. Will you continue in the teachings of the scriptures, in fellowship with one another, with the breaking of bread together, and in prayer for one another? If so, say, we will. Do you seek to persevere in faithfulness, to resist evil, to pursue justice? And when you wander from the path, to repent and return always to the Lord? If so, say, we do. do. Will you bear witness by the way you live your life to the good news of the kingdom of God, God's reign on earth as it is in heaven? If so, say, we will. And do you commit yourselves to seek first the kingdom of God, to serve Christ in all persons, and to love your neighbor as yourself? If so, say, we do. Then with hearts overflowing with joy, we recognize you as members of the church universal and of this body, Redemption Church. And we receive you into the fellowship of this communion. May the Lord bless and preserve and keep you in the commitments you have made on this day and guide you to faithful service and to be the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let's let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you that by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have overcome the darkness and brought us into the fellowship with you. May your hand be upon Redemption Church, protecting her, refining her, and making her beautiful. May your Holy Spirit have free reign in this fellowship, moving and working according to your good pleasure. And may Christ be lifted up and exalted in all that we say and do. And we pray, as we always pray, Lord, that you would bind our hearts together as a church, teach us to love each other, and teach us to love the world around us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. Will you come?
1: Thank you. choose to walk beside
2: Okay, I have a few announcements for you. All right. Saturday, the, uh, this Saturday, the 3rd, is our food pantry. Uh, if you haven't been out here uh, for our food pantry or helped volunteer with that, then you've probably missed a line of cars that go for a really, really long ways that, that people come and collect food through harvesters. Uh, we always need volunteers for that. If that's something that you, uh, if you would like to do, you're more than welcome to be here. It goes from 1 to 2, but you have to be here at 1215 to volunteer for that. If you have questions about our Harvester's food distribution, you can talk to Mandy. She's back here right there. There she is. Yeah, Uh, Mandy will will help with that. Second thing, we have a high school hiking trip coming up. We leave Saturday at 7 a.m. to go to Colorado. Um, We're taking some high school students out there and What I ask for is that you be mindful of that, to pray for us, to just remember that we're out there. Um, uh, Summer, Those of you who remember uh, trips when you were in high school, it's just like, it's amazing for our relationships and for our youth group. So please be praying for us for that. And lastly, this summer, June 19th through the 23rd, we have a soccer camp. It's called our Neighborhood Soccer Camp. It's something we've done now for, I think, 10 years. It's almost a decade um, we go over here to Ridgeview Elementary and we have a, a soccer camp where our kids and kids from all around the neighborhood and different schools come to participate and play soccer. We're not trying to, like, train the next Messi. We're, we're, we're playing soccer, if that makes sense. Uh, if you would like to – if you have a kid in elementary school, um, K through 6th grade, and you'd like them to participate, you can go online and sign up for that. If you are somebody who um, would like to volunteer – well, there are a ton of different ways to volunteer, preparing snacks, standing and emptying trash, checking kids in. If you have soccer skills, especially if you're like a high school student or a college student who has some soccer skills, we need you too. Um, you can come talk to me. You can also register online and I'll follow up with you and we're going to get that started. That's June 19th through the 23rd. Whew, there's some announcements for you. Thank you.
0: stand please and receive this benediction. I just invite you just to hold your hands just out in front of you with your palms uh, open just in a posture of receptivity. As we draw to mind the scene at Pentecost when something crazy happened and and it's still happening and our lives are part of it. We just open our hands toward God, in wonder and just in mystery, waiting to see what will become of this world and our lives and even the church. And as we try to hold this posture of reverence, but also just openness, may the Lord bless you and keep you, Redemption Church. May the Lord cause his face to shine about upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.